0: We talked before about how, uh, how, we, how we toss the word love around uh, almost flippantly sometimes. I mean, there's sometimes that, that we tell somebody, you know, I really love you. We really do love them. And then there's times where, we're, you know, me, for example, I really love eating at Red Robin because it's free refills on fries. It's not the same as the love that I have for my wife. It's a close second, but it's not the same. But we talk about different things that we love, right? I love this, I love this show. I, you know, you see somebody with a new outfit, oh, I love your shoes, I love your outfit. I mean, we we'd say word, words like love, and you know, we kind of toss around, sometimes fairly flippantly. I wonder if we do the same thing with the word hate. I wonder if we just, you know, man, I, I hate this, I hate that. And here's what I want to do to start off this morning. When I, I'm going to give you a chance to visit with each other for just a second, okay? When I say go, I want you to tell somebody sitting near you. I'm not even going to make you talk to a stranger if you don't want to, uh, but, you know, tell your spouse, siblings, whoever it is, sitting around you, if it's somebody you don't know, make sure you introduce yourself, make them feel friendly, or make them feel uh, welcome, uh, but tell somebody around you just a couple of things you just hate. I just, I mean, fill in the blank. I hate blank, whatever. You, you fill that word in, Okay. If you can come up with three, four, or five things, fine. All right? But just tell somebody around you this is what I hate. On your mark, say, go. Okay, that got a lot more discussion than I really anticipated. There's there's a lot of hate in this room this morning. (laughs) We all have things we hate, right? I I mean, we'll talk about I hate certain sports teams, I hate certain coaches. If you remember, now I'm dating myself a little bit, but if you remember... You know, the NCAA tournament's going on right now. If you remember the NCAA tournament in 1992 when Duke was playing Kentucky, Kentucky had the one point lead, and they throw the full court pass, and Christian Leitner catches the ball and, and makes it from the free throw line for Duke to win the game. My heart sank because I hate Duke. Okay? I know that's strong words, but if you've ever seen, there's a, there's a show that's, that uh, ESPN does. Uh, called you know thirty for thirty. One of the thirty for thirties that they do is a, is a show. The title of it is "I Still Hate Christian Leitner," and they and they talk about you know his collegiate career and his NBA career. But there's people from Kentucky that that still wear shirts, and if Kentucky ever plays Duke, they sell shirts that say "I still hate Christian Leitner." You know, I don't know that I necessarily actually hate hate. You know, and that's we even put degrees on the word hate, right? I hate that. I don't hate hate that, but I kind of hate. You know, what I really hate, I'll tell you, I know y'all share with each other. I hate, you can ask my kids, I hate when I'm driving and I let somebody either out in front of me, you know, I slow down, I wave them out and let them come out or let them turn in front of me and they don't wave, the thank you wave, I just want to floor it right into them. How dare you not at least acknowledge my kindness? I hate that. It makes me angry. Um, I, I'll be honest with you. This is, this is probably a little more telling than I should be. I hate when I'm at a restaurant and whatever, you know, waiter, waitress, whoever it is that starts trying to chat me up and be my friend. We don't know each other. Take my order and bring me my food. That's all we need right now. If I want to be closer friends than that, I will, I will be, I'm not rude. I'll be nice. I'll say thank you. If I want to extend the conversation, I might do that. But let me do that. And do not sit down in the booth next to me to take my word. I hate that. I hate it. I know. Now some of you are going, I don't know if I like our preacher very much right now. <clears throat> when you were talking about stuff that you hated, did anyone, eh, don't show hands. I wonder if anyone said, I hate my family. I hate my family. Parents, I hate, I hate my kids. Don't say that out loud. <laughs> I hate my siblings. I mean, we would never, even if that emotion was there, we would never say that out loud, would we? Maybe in the heat of the moment. There's a lot of things we talk about that we hate, but I doubt that, I mean, we get frustrated with family members. We get fed up with them. We don't go so far as to say we hate them. I want you to think about that as we're reminded of the series that we're going through right now, the series that we started a couple weeks ago, this, wait, what? And thinking about statements that Jesus made that we struggle with, that we read through as we're reading through scriptures, we read some of the words of Jesus and we come across something and we're like, wait a second, what does that mean? And, and, and we pause and we, and we have to chew on it or, or we're confused by it, so we just kind of breeze past it. It's something that makes us pause for a second to to question what, because maybe we just don't understand what it is they're saying, or maybe we don't want to understand what it is they're saying, because it's going to require us to do something different. It's going to require us to stretch a little bit, get out of our comfort zone a little bit, or it's just confusing, and and I see that, and I'm not for sure what it means, and, and I ask somebody, and they say it means this, and I ask somebody else, and they say it means this, and I'm just not for sure. And there's some things that I read through, and because they're either confusing or because I really just don't want to do them, that it's, it's things that I wish Jesus really hadn't said. I wish he had just gone ahead and said something different or not said anything at all, at least in that situation. And we, we've, we've talked about this already. We're going to continue talking about it this morning as we look at Luke chapter 14. So if you've got your Bibles or if you've got your Bible app, go to Luke and we're going to chapter 14. Now the Bible is divided into two big sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Luke is in the New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all tell the story of the life of Jesus when he was here on this earth from different perspectives. And Luke shares his story, and we're going to look at chapter 14. I want you to look at what Jesus says. If you got it there, look at what Jesus says uh, in verse 26. If you don't have it, it's going to be up on the screen. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, Yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, if, if I don't hate my parents, if I don't hate my spouse, if I don't hate my kids, if I don't hate my siblings, I can't be a disciple. Wait, what? That doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, I, I, thought, I thought God was all, about, was all about love, not hate. I mean, you go through other scriptures. I mean, Jesus in the book of John, John 13, verse 35 says, This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. People are going to identify us as disciples of Jesus by the way we love each other and by the way that we love other people. That doesn't sound like hate. Later on, the same guy that wrote this in John 13 writes another letter called 1 John. It's at the end of your Bibles. Uh, in 1 John chapter 4, beginning verse 20, it says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. And he goes on in verse 21 to say, Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So God says you can't claim to love me and hate your brother or sister. But we just read where Jesus says, If you're going to be my disciple, you have to hate your brother or sister. What? That doesn't make sense. So what do we do? We just breeze right past it. We read other stuff that we, like, that we like that Jesus said. It's confusing. It's weird. I don't want to talk about it. I don't understand it, so let's just move on to something else. But I want us to dig into it a little bit this morning. Even though I'd much rather read Jesus' words about forgiveness and about grace and acceptance and all those kinds of things, this is something that, that he said and he was very serious about it. And then I look at it and I read it about you know, you have to, you have to hate uh, your family. You have to hate your spouse. You have to hate your kids. You have to hate your life in order to be my disciple. And I look at that, and even though it's hard and it's confusing, man, I really wish he hadn't said it, but he did. So let's try to figure out what it is that, that, that he's trying to say to us. In order to do that, I think we need to get a little bit clearer picture of what this word hate really means. And I've told this church family before, the, the Bible as we have it now was not originally written in our English language. Centuries ago, it was written, part of it was written in ancient Hebrew, part of it was written in ancient Greek. And this part that we're reading today was originally written down in the ancient Greek language. And this word hate has lots of different connotations to it, kind of like our word hate does nowadays. But the the Greek word that we translate with our English word hate can have several different meanings. One of them is to have malicious feelings towards another person, towards someone else. Anger, animosity, resentment, that kind of hatred. We understand what that means. When we talk about, man, I hate that person, that's, that's what conjures up in our mind this animosity, this, this angst, this anger towards somebody else. But then there's also uh, times where the word hate is used to mean just I, I, I value something or I love something less than something else that there's something that I value more, there's something I love more than this other thing. And then it can also mean a complete disregard of something or, or, or being completely uh, uh, choosing the exact opposite of something, rejecting something while choosing something else. And it goes beyond saying, I like this, but I like this even more. It's I'm choosing this and I'm completely rejecting this other thing. Does that make sense? And I, if, if we pay attention to the context, if we pay attention to the circumstances that Jesus was dealing with when he made this statement, I believe that that's what Jesus is referring to. That he's equating hate with, or he's using the word hate to mean rejection. Not in a sense that, that we have Uh, animosity towards someone else not in the sense that we have anger and resentment towards someone else but that we're rejecting something in favor of something else that's what I think Jesus is referring to here that if you replace if you replace the word hate with the word reject I think you get a clearer picture of what Jesus is trying to say so if you go back If we go back to Luke chapter 14, verse 26, and and you replace it, it would say, if anyone comes to me and does not reject father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. You see the difference? There's no animosity here. I'm choosing something and turning away from something else. That's what Jesus is saying. You have to choose to value me more than your family. You have to choose, if necessary, to walk away from them in order to walk after me. There's no middle ground. There's no waffling back and forth. This is strong language that Jesus uses, and it's intentional that he uses it. You have to choose. You have to decide. There is a line in the sand, me or them. Now, let's understand what moved Jesus to make this statement. The verse is already up on the screen. If you back up a verse in, in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25, you see where, where he starts out before he makes this statement. And it says, that large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. These are some key words that we've even bolded up on on the screen. Because leading up to making this statement, Jesus has been going through quite a bit of time in his ministry. He's been performing miracles. He's been teaching. He's been interacting with lots of different people. He's been spending time with the sinners and the unacceptable folks. And it's bothered some of the religious leaders of his day. And he's gotten into arguments with them and debates with them. And he's been critical of them sometimes. And he's kind of changed the way people view uh, the people around him and, 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 and tried to obliterate this, this societal difference between the people who are, are really righteous and really religious and those who keep making mistakes and flaws and saying, you're all the same and God loves you both. And he, as a matter of fact, if you look in Luke chapter 14, before he makes this statement, he tells a story basically saying that the people who are typically unacceptable are the ones who get invited into the kingdom of God. The people who haven't been the good enough in the past are actually the ones that God seeks to be a part of his kingdom now. And so, of course, large crowds are following him. If there's people who have been told by by church leaders all their lives, you're not good enough, and God does not accept you, and we don't either. And then there's this one guy who says, no, that's not the way God is. God loves all of you, and he wants to accept you into his kingdom as you are and make your life even better. You would follow that guy in an instant. You want to hear more of that. And if he backs up that teaching with, with these demonstrations of power, these miracles, touching people who were untouchable and spending time with people who you weren't supposed to spend time with, Tons of people wanted to follow this guy. They wanted to be a part of, 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 of the show. They wanted, they wanted to witness everything that he was about and everything that he was doing. And then Jesus makes this statement to these large crowds that are following him. And he talks about the difference between following in the crowd and being a disciple. Because you see, disciples in Jesus' day They made a commitment. There were were other disciples that followed other rabbis besides Jesus. And if you're going to be a disciple that followed a rabbi, you walked away from your family. You walked away from your livelihood. You walked away from everything that you had grown up as being your norm. And you followed that rabbi everywhere he went. You spent all your time with your rabbi. You, You mimicked everything that he did. You sat in chairs the same way. You walked down the road the same way. You said things the same way. All your gestures and body, everything that you did was to mimic your rabbi. That's what a disciple was called to do. And in the process of doing that, you walked away from everything else. You walked away from your family. You walked away from your business. You walked away from friendships because you were a disciple of that rabbi. So look again one more time. There's a much bigger commitment to being a disciple. There were large crowds following Jesus. And Jesus issues this challenge. And I believe he issues this challenge as a way to make a distinction between those who are truly wanting to commit their lives to him and those who are just there to be entertained. Those who are just there to be catered to. Because if you're going to commit to discipleship with Jesus, there were some risks involved. I mean, when he talks about, you know, rejecting your family. That was the actual risk for his disciples because the father, the head of the clan could make decisions for the rest of the family. He would decide what they were going to do and and what they're going to do with their money and what they're, how they're going to make their livelihood. And all the other kids and siblings had to just kind of follow in line. And he would even decide, he would even make religious decisions for the family. And you just had to follow along with whatever dad said. And to follow Jesus, to choose Jesus, might require his disciples to reject what dad was saying. That's a big commitment. There were other risks involved. The the disciples of Jesus, because he was so radical, some disciples of Jesus were were threatened with being kicked out of the synagogue, which was kind of the, the church building in all these different towns back in that time, which might not mean a whole lot to us. I mean, I've never been kicked out of a church before. I think it would be a bad thing if I was. But, you know, we just pick another church to go to. Not so in Jewish society back then. If you got kicked out of the synagogue, that wasn't just you couldn't come to the building to worship anymore. You were ostracized by the rest of society. You were considered an outcast. People didn't talk to you anymore. It could cost you your livelihood. It could cost you your business. It could cost you friendships and relationships. Your family could turn their back on you because of who you were choosing to follow and we know there's physical persecution that, that was at risk I mean look at what ended up happening to Jesus he was arrested he was beaten he was crucified disciples are supposed to mimic their rabbi disciples are supposed to be willing to go through the same things that the rabbi went through that's a big risk Jesus is drawing a line in the sand and and, and what he's really saying is you need to choose whether you want to be a disciple or whether you just want to follow along when it's convenient. Are you going to choose me only when things are going good? Or are you going to choose me no matter what? Folks, the challenge is still there for us today. And we need to understand that there is a big difference between being in the crowd and being a disciple. Disciples would would sacrifice if necessary. Disciples would walk away from their their comfort zones. Disciples would reject the people who were trying to pull them away from Jesus. People in the crowd, they were there just to be entertained. They were there as long as things were going good. They were there as, as, as long as things were going the way that they wanted to and they liked what they were hearing. But if it ever got tough, Or if Jesus ever said anything controversial or if Jesus ever called them to to stretch out their comfort zones a little bit, I'm done. Time to go home. That's what the crowd would do. Discipleship requires commitment. And the challenge is still the same for us nowadays. Am I going to be a disciple or am I just going to be in the crowd? Jesus still asks us, And we need to be asking ourselves, do I want to just follow along when it's convenient? Or do I want to be a disciple? Do I want to stick with Jesus no matter what? That's the challenge before us today. And I want to challenge all of us. We need to choose Jesus. Jesus says, you can't be my disciple. You can't be fully committed to me. Unless you are fully committed and willing to walk away from anything else that might pull you from me. So choose me. That's the choice that we need to make. And and the blessings that come from that, we can't count. Let me give you a handful really quick. What happens to us, how we are blessed when we choose Jesus? Jesus. First thing that choosing Jesus does, uh, not the first thing, but one of the things that, that choosing Jesus does is it saves me. Scripture tells us that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. We've all made mistakes. We've all failed. There was a design that God designed us with from the very beginning to look like and to act like and to be like Him and to live sinless lives, and we've all fallen short. And it doesn't matter if we've only sinned a handful of times or more times we could possibly count. We've all sinned. And because we've all sinned, the consequences of that is guilt and death. And Jesus Christ came to this earth. He left his throne in heaven to come to this earth and to die on the cross to pay the penalty of death for us and to rise again from the grave so that we don't have to worry about death anymore, to set us free from our sin, to set us free from our guilt, to rescue us. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. That's what he did for every single one of us. And then the choice is ours. Do I want to buy into that? Do I want to take hold of that? Or do I want to do my own thing and keep messing up and keep making mistakes and keep failing and keep living in my guilt? Which one? Choosing Jesus saves me. It saves my soul. It rescues me from guilt and sin. Peter said this in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. He says, salvation, rescue, freedom is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is nothing else that can save you except for Jesus Christ. You can't rely on your stuff that you own. You can't rely on your paycheck. You can't rely on your sports hero. You can't rely on your political hero. You can't rely on your political party. You can't rely on any other religion. It is only my Savior, Jesus Christ, that can save you from your sins. Choose him. Choosing Jesus saves me. Choosing Jesus saves me actually increases my faith. We got problems in this world. All, I mean, all of us are dealing with problems, and it's not a contest. You've got problems, and I've got problems. We don't need to compare as to who's worse and, and feel like we're more problem-filled than somebody else. It's not a contest. We all deal with junk in our lives. Some of it consequences of our own choices. Some of it's just Life and how, how, we, how we wrestle with some of those things, how we wrestle with some of the tough decisions that we have to make and the tough times that we experience and the, and the directions that we need to go. We can stress about those things. We can become overwhelmed by those things. And then here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. He says, seek first, pursue first his kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that you worry about will be given to you. They'll be taken care of. Jesus says, you choose me, you choose connection with me, you choose to follow me, you choose to trust in me. Even when you don't know what the end result's going to be, you choose to do that, and I'll take care of all this other stuff. I will protect you, I will rescue you, if I don't remove the problem, I will walk with you, maybe even carry you through it till we get on the other side of it. You choose me, and I'll take care of it. And the more that I choose him, the more my faith increases. The more that I trust, the more that I don't stress and worry and fear because I know he's got this. And it it may not work out exactly how I have it in my mind or as quickly as I want it to. But he's got it. Choosing him increases my faith. Choosing Jesus, it, it it just blesses me. I mean, it's not just about the forgiveness and the grace that I receive, and it's not just about the hope of something better, being with him forever when this life is over. Those things are important. Those things are blessings that I can't even put a value on. But even when I fully commit to Jesus, he blesses me here and now. He said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life And have it to the full. And I want you to understand, he didn't say that they may someday have life for eternity to the full. He's talking about right here, right now. Jesus came to bless us here and now in this life, to give us this this overflowing life. That's what he wants for us the joy that we can have, the peace that we can experience, the encouragement that we can have and we can share with other people, the, the feeling of purpose in our lives, the, the feeling of, of direction and focus in our lives, the, the patience that we have, the love that we get to experience and get to show it to other people, the, the fact that he does take care of us and walks with us through problems. Those are blessings now. When I choose Jesus now, instead of any other thing in this world, the blessings keep pouring out. I can't even count them all. Choosing Jesus blesses me. And choosing Jesus also empowers me to love other people. I mean, he says here, we talk about, you know, in this this context, he talks about hate and about rejecting those people that we love. But in reality, choosing Jesus, choosing a connection with him, choosing life in him actually empowers me to love more. It increases my capacity to love others. You go through these books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You read through all the different examples of Jesus showing love to other people. Jesus saying to someone who who has committed horrible choices in her life and saying, I love you, I don't condemn you, let's do better. To look at a guy who has spent his entire life thinking he doesn't measure up enough to God. He's exhausted from trying to keep all the rules and the checklist just right. He's drained and he's asking Jesus, is is there anything else besides this? Is there something more to this life than what I'm going through in, in the religious mindset that I have now? And scripture says Jesus loved him. I love where you're at. Quit trying to do it all on your own. Come follow me. You see examples of, of uh, I mean, think about when Jesus is on the cross. He's been beaten. He's been brutally nailed to the cross and hung to suffocate to death. The blood is pouring. The air is escaping from his body. And he looks down at the people who are laughing and pointing fingers and saying, that's right. That's what we want to happen. And he's saying, I love you. God, please forgive him. He tells one of his disciples, Peter, who said, I will never leave your side. I will will stick with you no matter what. And a few hours later, saying, I don't even know the guy. Jesus looks at him after he rises from the grave and says, Peter, I love you. Let's do better. Paul in Romans chapter 5 says, "This this is how we know what love is. That while we were sinners, not when we had our act together, not when we were perfect, not when we deserved it, while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. That kind of love, truly soaking in and experiencing that kind of love, actually empowers me to love other people. John says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, we love because, because he first loved us. When I, when I let myself fully experience the love of Jesus and I truly recognize how much love he has shown me and how much he continues to show me, I become empowered. I choose to love other people and to forgive them and to accept them and to encourage them. Even people who have mistreated me in the past. Even people... That that maybe my family and and, and my friends and and people that I trust say, you shouldn't love that person. You shouldn't forgive them. I'm still empowered. I'm still given the capacity to love and to forgive and to accept. Because that's what I've received by choosing Jesus. These are just some of the things that choosing Jesus does for us. When he draws the line in the sand and says, pick me. This is what you get. This is why I need to reject anything else that would pull me from him, that would pull me away from my commitment to him. Now, that sounds great. How do I get better at that? Okay, I'm choosing Jesus. I, I, I want to be committed, but how do I, how do I make that commitment, or how do, I, how, do I, how do I make it even stronger? How do I hold on to that commitment? How do I keep from walking away from it? Let me give you some action steps real quick. You guys have done an outstanding job listening this morning. I'm almost done. Here's how you continue to choose Jesus. Number one, well, let me interrupt myself. Let's look at how he says to do it. In John chapter 10, go there real quick. In your Bibles and your Bible apps, John chapter 10. Jesus compares himself to a shepherd and compares his followers to sheep. And he says, beginning in verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, talking about the shepherd. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of him. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. And when we look at how these sheep respond to the shepherd and how they're fully committed to the leading of the shepherd, we see some things that will help us be fully committed to Jesus. Number one, we've got to spend time with him. I need to spend time with Jesus. So if I'm going to fully commit to him, I have to spend time with him. I can't just say, yeah, I picked Jesus and never have a conversation and never listen to him again. But I picked him. That was my choice. Was it? Is that really being committed to him? If I'm going to fully commit to Jesus, I have to spend time with him. These sheep that he talks about, they knew who their shepherd was. They trusted that where the shepherd was leading them because they had spent time with the shepherd. They had been with him out in the fields before. They recognized his voice. They knew who he was because they spent time with him. And if I'm going to fully commit to Jesus, I need to spend time with Jesus. I need to spend time in prayer talking with him. I need to spend time in his word letting him talk to me. I need to spend time around other people who are spending time with Jesus as well. I need to commit to spending time with him so that I will become better at trusting his leading and seeing the direction that he's going. It is almost impossible for me to be fully committed to Jesus Christ if I don't spend any time with Jesus Christ. I got to spend some time with him. Number two, I got to listen. I mean, if you go back and look at John chapter ten, look at what the sheep do. They they listen to the shepherd. They listen to his voice. They hear him call them by name, and they run from. They reject a stranger's voice. They don't come anywhere near a stranger. The voice is something other than the shepherd, and that's what I have to do. I have to listen to my shepherd. I've told you guys before about my my years spent doing youth ministry, uh, the Southside Church in, in Rogers. There were multiple times that I would have activities and games where, where I would blindfold kids. It was more entertainment for me probably than anything else. But I have blindfold kids, and they would have to get across a certain, you know, get from one location to another, get across a certain little obstacle course or something blindfold, and they would have to listen to instructions. And I might partner them up with somebody, or I might just leave them to their own and just say, well, get from there to there and see how it works out. And, and they could listen to directions, but I would always, either myself and maybe some other adults, I would always plant some people who would give them bad instructions because one wanted them to see how easy it is to be convinced to go the wrong way folks this isn't just a thing for teenagers all of us are experiencing things in this world that are competing for our attention there are voices, there are noises that are competing for not just our attention they're competing for our devotion who are we going to listen to? I'm not saying it's bad to listen to your families. I'm not saying it's bad to listen to wise people and, and, and bosses and mentors and things like that. But if people are, are, if the voices that you're listening to are pulling you away from Jesus, you need to tune them out. You need to listen to him. Spend time with him. Listen to his voice. Reject anything that's not from him. And lastly, you need to follow It does no good to listen to the voice of Jesus and not follow his lead. Jesus said the shepherd goes out in front of the sheep and and he sees where the danger is. He sees where to stay away from and, and, and the potential risk for them. He finds the good grass. He finds the good water where they can be fed, where they can be taken care of. That's what the shepherd does. He goes in front of the sheep and they follow because they trust him. And if I'm spending time with Jesus and I'm listening to his voice and I put my faith in him, I need to follow the direction that he's going. And sometimes that's different than the rest of the crowd wants me to go. Sometimes that's different than my own family wants me to go. But if I'm convinced that it's the voice of Jesus that I'm listening to and it's his direction that I'm following, then I need to follow. Because he's just going to bless me. It's going to be the way I need to go. I need to spend time with him. I need to listen to him. I need to follow him. That's going to help me hate, reject anything that's going to keep me from getting closer to him. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not challenging us to go home today and tell our spouses, boy, I hate you because Jesus told me to. (laughs) Jesus is saying, you need to choose you can't sit on the fence you can't go back and forth not if you're going to be my disciple you need to choose what's it going to be so make your choice this morning what are we going to choose I want to wrap up just real quick by going back to John chapter 10 Actually, it was Reagan Price who pointed this out at a retreat that I was at years ago when he was talking to a bunch of teenagers. Probably 20 years ago, Reagan. And I'd never seen it before, and I've held on to it ever since. When Jesus says that when the shepherd leads his sheep out, when he calls them, he calls them by name. That the shepherd is so in tune with his sheep that he knows everything about them. He even knows their name. You ever been around a bunch of sheep before? They all look the same. Jesus says, I'm so intimately aware of who you are. I know you by name. I know all the good stuff, and I know all the bad stuff. I know all the victories and the triumphs, and I know all the failures, and I love you no matter what. Folks, if you've never known that about my God this morning, please hear this. My God knows you by name and knows every single thing about you and loves you anyway. and wants desperately for you to choose him, not for his benefit, for yours. So we're going to stand together, we're going to sing a song about just fully committing ourselves to Jesus. And if you haven't ever made that full of a commitment before, or if you've made that commitment in the past and you've walked away from it, I'm asking you to choose Jesus today. And if you want to walk forward and say, I'm ready to commit my life to him, show me how to do that, we will help. We'll be here ready to help and do whatever we can. Don't sit on the fence anymore. Let's choose Jesus today. If we can help you do that, we want to. While together we stand and sing.